1991, a movie came out. I saw it not too many years after that. Just came across it somehow or another. It called The Doctor. And Dr. Jack McGee, Key, he was a successful surgeon in a leading hospital. He and his wife had all the trappings of success. Was living the good life of a successful surgeon. But hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours in working in a stress-filled kind of schedule. Left his relationship with his wife just a bit emotionally dead. His bedside manner in the hospital was not a lot to be proud of. He was a bit cavalier. And in the operating room, it was uh, just over the top in uh, you know, listening to popular music while someone's on the table during surgery, rock music, chatter between him and his partner, and not particularly professional. So I mean, you're into this movie at this point thinking, well, what if that were me on that table? <laughs> but returning home from a dinner party, Jack began to have, he had a coughing fit. And his wife was shocked to see that he was coughing up blood. So he went to have a biopsy done on his throat to see what was happening. And he came back positive for cancer. And this began, began an interesting journey that a transformation actually took place. What began to take place was that he had to sit alongside of patients. He had to deal with delays and missteps and poor communication. And he had to wear one of those gowns that's split in the back. That's, I have to walk around in front of people like this. And dealing with all of that. And walking through an emotional void hospital with fellow cancer patients dealing with inoperable cancers. One he met, interestingly, a lady who had an inoperable brain tumor. Well, it was determined that his cancer was cancer on the vocal cords. And the chemo that he had taken didn't corrected, he was going to need surgery. <laughs> a little sidelight surgeon who was one of his big buddies in the hospital, um, they had clashes and problems, and the surgeon that he didn't like very well turned out to be more understanding and helpful, and he opted to go for the operation with him. Well, Jack's cancer was treated. He was cured. Oh, the lady, I didn't mention this. I know I'm spoiling the movie for you, but it's still worth a watch. That he met in the, in the waiting rooms, and she had this inoperable brain tumor. Well, I won't tell you what happened there. I'll let you uh, leave that at that, as it may. And... But out of this whole process, Dr. McKee became a different kind of person. That he realized how important it was for people to care for a patient. Sensitivity. He, was, he had interns who were his responsibility. And he had them all where put on the infamous gowns. And he assigned them with various illnesses in order to test to get them to feel the experience that they would be soon putting their patients through. It's quite an eye-opening movie. Now, where are we this morning? Comfort one another. 
Now, last week, it was encourage one another. There's a, obvious some overlap here. The word group that's translated comfort and encourage, it's the same Greek word group. So obviously an overlap. I'll just go back to my on the beach analogy. I was referring to my father on the beach at Guam on July the 20th, 1944. And an encourager, encouragement is, we've got to get off the beach. Move, come, let's go. But do you know when you get off the beach, you can get wounded in more ways than one. You can get mortally wounded. You can get physically wounded. You can get mentally wounded. They didn't have all the the post-traumatic stress syndrome language in those days, but my dad came back from the war with what they just called Shell shock, get the job, go to get get a job, go to work, get on with life. That's sort of the way it happened. Well, what about that experience of coming? All right, we get encouraged to move along in the Christian life. Let's go. Let's go. And then the wounds begin to come. All kinds of wounds. Well, here we are. To comfort. Could we get this cleared up right at the beginning, what to comfort means? I, I would put it this way, and I've, I've changed my definition. I know there's one in front of you, but uh, I've, I've added something two times to get this thing in sharper focus. I add the statement that it's love in action. Genuine comfort comes through the gospel in word and deed. I'll put it another way. It's the gospel in operation. That's what it is. That's what comforting is. See, there are things that can be done to help people to feel better and to ease their pain. Okay, granted, that's what the dictionary says about comfort. I looked it up, to ease pain. But as we're thinking within the realm of biblical truth and the gospel, we have to see it this way. Truth, true comfort is the gospel in word and deed. Now, what's that look like? Now, we want to come, I'm going to walk you through three steps. Now, here's what we have to do, and you're going to, I'm going to have to hold myself to this. I came to the conclusion on this after I had already put out this outline. Justin has had to confess to doing this some himself. You know, you work through it, you plow the ground, and then you go back and you stand and you look and you see where you plowed. And then you begin to see some other things. I saw some other things. And you don't have them in your notes. And I'm going to check you and see if you get them. But we'll get there. But we've got to go through this very important three movement. Three particular issues where the matter of comforting is front and center. It's chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 7. Now, what are they all about? Now, let me say one other thing about the purpose of this book so that you can uh, have some kind of handle on what's happening here. Paul is writing this letter because he's got an encouraging report from Titus. Now, I know you say, well, what was it? He just made him almost jump up and down. But that's why he writes it. There was an encouraging report that came to him. Also, what Paul's trying to do in this letter is establish a warm relationship, rapport with the Corinthian believers. And you say, well, why would he need to do that? Paul was an apostle. Wasn't he just revered? Didn't people just say, Paul's in town. Paul's in town. He's going to speak this Sunday. woo it didn't happen that way a lot. So he has some rapport, some rebuilding, some restoration of relationship to do. And to, to go even further with it, he has been accused of mishandling church funds of all people. I mean, Paul's integrity was just picture perfect, but he had some enemies 
these false teachers, part of their insinuation, well, just charges, was that Paul was not to be trusted. Paul was, he defrauded people. Paul, he write these bad letters. He'd just get after you. Well, he's a meanie. This is part of what he was dealing with, these false teachers and accusing him of that. So, you know, you can, if you know the book of 2 Corinthians, you see chapters 8 and 9, where he goes through all this detail about the offering, collecting the money, and what he did. All right, so we, we can't pre- I can't preach the whole book today. But I want to give you a feel for something. That Paul was going through extreme circumstances. Here, I'll give you another example. I know when you look at a book like 2 Corinthians and you read through all those sufferings down at the end of the book, get into chapter, what is it, chapter 11 for sure. Is it chapter 10? It just goes through all this stuff that he's gone through. You read it, you think, how does a person survive all that? <laughs> well, I've got something for you here. It all really happened within about a six or a seven year period of time. And the churches that he had established, particularly the Corinthian church, they could—they were really, a, they were a difficult child, <laughs> put it that way. How to love a rebellious child, <laughs> the Corinthians. So Paul had all this on him. But he just, look what he says. All right, let's get through these steps. These are ways in which you can comfort one another. Let's get the first one that we are to comfort those who are suffering. All right, that's plain enough, isn't it? That's where we're beginning in verses 3 through 5. Comfort those who are suffering. And when Paul says us here, he's not using some kind of newspaper general, us, all Christians. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself and Timothy. Yes, he's very specific. What we've been through. Just incredible. And what he is holding on to here is that, you know, when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's uh, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Yes, Paul, Timothy. So I say that true and abiding comfort comes from God alone. Never forget this. That's bedrock. You're not going to get real comfort. No, you can get some kind of modifications of it or some semblance of it. Uh, Not saying that the world doesn't have some kind of comfort that it brings. It does. I'm not disparaging that. But he points out the fact that it's because of who God is. He's the father of mercies. Now, I... this is an old this is Old Testament talk here, Father of Mercies. You find this often in the Old Testament. And you can expect that from a converted rabbi, is Paul. And he speaks this way. And he's our Father. And he is the Father of Jesus Christ. How? Because he procreated Jesus Christ? No, 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 no. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses just missed that as badly as you can miss it. It's in the redemptive order of things. In the work of redemption. The father has that responsibility, that, shall we say, kind of a chain of command. And the son submitted to the father. But here's what he's saying, that he is absolutely convinced that God alone is who's responsible for keeping him going and giving him that comfort. And comfort is this. I looked up the root of that word. It got interesting. What does that come for? Come with, Latin, with, fortis, Latin, strength. It's to give strength, the ability to go on, to handle it. Maybe you'll feel better. We hope that happens, but that's it. So when you have strength, that means that you get an increased ability to think, to do, to hope, to live, the way that pleases God. That's what you want in it. And so this is what he's saying. So therefore, he's saying the father of mercies. And then mentioning the fact that in the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't stay here. But he's focusing on the fact that it's because of what Christ has done for us. That's critical to real comfort. 
and the cross work of Christ. But I go back from there. The incarnation of Christ. He lived among us. He suffered. He didn't just suffer on the cross. Oh, you read the Gospels and put those, put those glasses on when you read the Gospels and see what Jesus was dealing with in his daily life. He did a lot of suffering. Now, here is where we are with Paul at this point. And I think we could ask this question safely in this. Is that what do you think of God? What do you think of him? Before we can go any further and talk, and listen, I've got three very important concluding statements, but you won't get them right unless we get this up front. What do you think of God? If you got the wrong views of God, you're going to be in trouble when it comes to trying to get comfort. Oh, I could tell you a lot of things, that, but I don't want this to be just a negative message. I want it to be encouraging. But I will tell you, if you got the wrong views of God, you're going to be cranky. You're going to have struggles with guilt and hopelessness. You may just be a very difficult patient, very difficult. You've got to have the right view. Why is God doing this to me? I hear Christians say that. That's kind of suffering 101, actually. God is sovereign over all things. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. We've got to get that right. That's where we get our traction. But if you've got doubts about God's wisdom and his goodness, you say, well, why did this happen to me? She didn't deserve it. Oh, what are we saying when we blurt out things like that? I know we can get, we can get into emotional overruns. I understand it. But oh, we'd better be quick to come back to our senses. What do you know about God? Do you understand him? That's critical here. Do you know him? Now, there is no affliction that's not open to God's comfort. Can we get that clear? He says, God has made provision for all of our grief and sorrow. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Every physical and mental affliction. <laughs> if you want, and if you want a list of things, you just go over to chapter 11 and chapter 12 and go back to 1 Corinthians 4. You can see what Paul endured. Now, there are many ways that we can comfort one another. And I'll just give you a few teasers here, although I'm going to be much more detailed later on. From what you can see already that there is involved, that mercies that God extends to us. I'll speak generally here for a minute, though I will get specific. Generally, think of the comforts that we have. Uh, you know what? I am I'm thankful that I live in the nation, America, where I live. Do you know one of the reasons? It gives a lot of opportunity for some real comfort. Oh, I know, you read the papers. Those of you who go to schools and read the textbooks that are down on America. Down on, have you traveled much? Have you been out of this country? Right, why don't you go to some third world countries? You come back and we can talk. Now, I'm not putting down those countries. And I know that there are people who there who love God and are doing amazing things and have, in many cases, are much stronger Christians than some Americans who are spoiled, spoiled Christians. But what I'm saying is this, is that thank God, I'm thankful to God for good hospitals. Now, I know they're not all good. You've got your story. We all got our war stories, okay? I understand that. But I will tell you this, hospitals can be a good hospital. We had an experience with a hospital. Uh, I'm not here to pub to promote it. Um, but there is a hospital not far from here that was amazing. And Beth, about three years ago, she came close to death with sepsis and then found out that she had a tumor that needed to be uh, removed by surgery. And I'm telling you that the, the staff, everybody we went through, now I've heard stories to the contrary, all right. But with that aside, that was, thank God. Hey, I've been by some of those hospitals and some other places in this world. You don't want to go there. So I'm thankful for those kinds of general things. I'm thankful for friendships. That's part of the mercies of God. I, I heard, I just heard this morning, where a family member, it was, I hope I'm not embarrassing the family. I probably should have asked um, permission here from Van, but I just, uh, it did kind of jump out at me 
that uh, Roger's brother showed up. <laughs> well, you know, if you've got rapport with a brother, no, not all families' brothers are in good rapport with one, I understand that. And you can be sick and go to the hospital and your family doesn't know and may not care. But here's a brother just showed up, drove all the way down from South Georgia, drove up, and from the way he described it, said, well, that was an upper. <laughs> yeah. And you're still hanging in that, that in-between land waiting on the test results. Oh, that's a tough ride. Waiting on those, and you get somebody who can, you can share childhood memories. So friendship, family, we understand those things. I'm not surprising you here. And so here... Here are the things that we can thank God for, and I think we should. I thank God for good medication. Oh, we'd, most of us would be dead if it weren't for modern medicine. I'm serious. I probably would. Like antibodies. They did. They hardly had just come into penicillin when I was born. That's, wow, that's how old I am. <laughs> that just, and just coming into a lot of things. I thank God for I hope they keep developing new medicines and new, boy, my, my, maybe I could live to 120. <laughs> They keep on. I'm hanging on. <laughs> and I, I know doctors tell people things like this. If you can just hang on, we're going to have something for this in a few years. So it's treatment for cancer. All right, I'm spending too long on this point because uh, we need to move on. Now, I have before you here in your notes something that I'm going to, I'm going to exercise an executive decision on. I have some don'ts that you shouldn't do when you go to visit and you try to comfort people. Um, I, I have to, ju- I'm just going to delete that. I might pick it up a little bit later. But th- th- there are some no-nos that, okay, let's, but I, I want to move on to the second issue that comes up in 2 Corinthians in chapters 5, uh, verses 5 through 11. Now, let me just briefly give you, go ahead and look at the text. Let me refresh you in what's going on here. There is some debate among Bible scholars Bible scholars. This, uh, I, when I use that terminology, I, I'm, I'm a little uneasy with it because it can give for us average folk, we think, ooh, you've got to be a Bible scholar to understand the scriptures. Uh, I am really suspicious of that kind of logic. <laughs> the Bible is perspicuous. I, I can tell you, I can put up my, my grandmother, who had an, about a seventh grade education, who knew the Bible from front to back really well. And she knew it, and not only knew it, but she knew how it was to be lived and practiced. I'd put her up against plenty of seminary professors, and believe me, I've had a lot of experience <laughs> in that field. So don't. I'm just saying, we don't want to get intimidated. All right, I got off the main road. But Bible scholars said this, say that, See, there are two schools. They say, well, what this is referring to in 2 Corinthians 2 is chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Do you remember that? No, you don't. It's this. I'll help you. There was somebody in the church who was living. I mean, it was a terrible state of affairs. This man was living in a a relationship, a physical, sexual relationship with his stepmother. And his Paul says, how in the world can you tolerate this? These Corinthians, they thought they were so... They were so broad-minded and so they were proud of this that we can accommodate people. Oh, diversity, <laughs> moral diversity. And Paul said they disciplined the person for this. Yes, they had to put them out of the fellowship. And that, that individual, man, he repented. And that we believe, many believe, that this is exactly what Paul's referring to, that individual. And, but the problem was is that he had not been forgiven by everyone. There were people who were just said, that was too easy. Yeah. He, all he has to do is repent and come back. No, they wanted their pound of flesh. They wanted to get a little vengeance in. Paul said, no, 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 no. You can't do this. When you don't forgive someone to whom you should, you should be forgiving them, you're going to discourage them. And you're Satan, they'll be overwhelmed, and that's when Satan can get in and take advantage of it. You saw the verse. That's what he's talking about. Now, there's another view of it, and I'm not going there. I don't have time to do it. But for my, for my, uh, for my Bible scholars who are here this morning, I'm just telling you, I know what it is, and I've been there. And it could very well be 
And even one of my seminary professors takes that view, and it's not a matter of orthodox, just a matter of uh, what happened when within about a very short period of time. First and second Corinthians were written just within about a year or two one another. All right, with that said, could you follow me on this? I hope I haven't lost your attention. That we are to comfort those who are struggling with sin and its effects in their lives. Yes. And here is an individual in that church who's struggling. The sin was bad. The other view says it was a person who was just anti-Paul, anti-authority, just a pain in you-know-what. That's what that person was. Just gave the, just, the trouble was terrible because that person, and that they had come around and repented. And then Paul's saying, all right, you need to forgive. But you see, not a whole lot is lost here because, listen, there are those who have fallen into sin who need comfort. When they're caught in a trespass, as Paul speaks of in Galatians 6 and verse 1, someone who's been sinned against. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you withholding forgiveness from someone who needs forgiveness, should have it? Well, you're not comforting them. Is that should you ask forgiveness of someone? Well, the road to comfort is taking care of those issues right up front. That's a comfort. Oh, have you ever been in one of those situations where you've had to receive or give forgiveness? And isn't it just like a load just lifted and your heart sings and you're hearing the birds again? And, oh, thank you, Lord. It's sweet relief. That's part of comfort. And there, I think, are those who then, because of sin, committed or think that it's been committed or just a struggle of working through it, those who struggle with the assurance of their own salvation. And they're drowned, as it were, in their own discouragement because they're not sure. Now, let me just say just a couple of things here, briefly, that when we're born again, when we put trust in Christ, what do you do? It's the gospel, it's the promise, that it's the, the, the assurance is in the gospel. It's in faith, faith alone in Christ. It's not Christ, it's not faith. He gives you, it's Christ. You trusted him, you believed his word, good. Now, but what if somebody sins like this man? And, you know, some people, they, some people have extraordinarily sensitive consciences. And they just have a real battle of accepting God's forgiveness. Think that I've just sent my chances away. God doesn't love me anymore. Some of you are probably uh, have that inclination. Now, I'm not being critical of you. I'm just understand we're all made wired differently. But you've got to come to this, that it is Christ who saves you. It's not your subjective feelings. Oh, they're fickle things. You might feel like, well, I feel saved today. Way, yay. Oh, but I'm not sure about today. I'm just remembering some of the things I've said and done, that kind of thing. So I'm just saying that we need to be sensitive to people who are struggling have struggled with sin, and we can, how can we can give them comfort, we can remind them of forgiveness, and we can, we can accept them, accept them. Let's say they have fallen into sin, and they've repented, and they've come back, and to, to just, yes, I love you. Let's, that maybe we could meet, let's meet a little while, talk about, try to get some traction. They say, what? I just, some of the people in church, they just treat me like trash or they're ignoring me. Now, sometimes we invent that. We think that people are, everybody's talking about me. Oh, I've heard that one a lot. People, oh, they think they're saying these things about me. I just don't want to go there. Now, let's think about that. Let's work through it. And let's work toward some real comfort. All right. Hurt, I must hurt, to the third. Third of this movement, the third movement is chapter 7. All right, now we're, we're on the road to comfort. You see these things. We are to comfort those who are depressed. Did you see that language there? It used to, I noticed in the English Standard Version, which I read to you, 
I studied it in the New American Standard among a place, but the word there is tapenos. Well, you say, what's that word? That's the word that's often translated. It's, it's translated humble, to be humble, the verb, to be down, and translated downcast or depressed. It's downness. We understand that concept, don't we? Downness. We're to comfort those who are depressed. Here's what had happened. Paul had been down. How? Why? He, he didn't know what was going on in Corinth. Now, you think about the first century. I mean, you can't text. You, I mean, you can't make phone calls. You can't email. You can't Snapchat and no uh, Skype. I mean, all this stuff we have now, so easy. Virtual presence with everybody. And Paul doesn't know what's going on in Corinth. He's written to them, and he's kind of put some zingers in there to the Corinthians. You, you, you read it. He, told, he called them carnal. Whoa. He, he said, some of you have died because of the sin unto death. What? He really zapped them. And then plus the fact that there was this, this ringleader who had been there and had gotten the Corinthians on the, all against Paul, had gotten them angry at Paul and such. And oh, He didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. And guess what? Who shows up? Oh, this was, Titus was the man. He comes, you'll notice Titus in the New Testament. Paul sends him and some, he parachuted. He was, a, he was a ranger. Delta force, that's what he was, spiritual delta force. And he comes back from his recent assignment to Paul. Paul, I've got some good news for you. And he tells them about the Corinthians. They've received, they, they, they are kindly disposed toward Paul. They understand they love him. They're going on in the Lord. Things are better if the church hasn't split every which way from A to Izzard. And it's coming along. And, th- and Paul, I can just see him. Maybe he just said, look, just jumping. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, what a relief. What a relief. That's what he says. He says, I was comforted when I got that news. Now, what do we do with this? I think we could say this, that dejection, gloominess, downness. We've got this word depression. I don't have time to unpack all that's associated with it, but I know that the word has picked up some, some baggage in the minds of people that it is sort of something that's outside the realm of Christian theology. Oh, no, 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 no. Could I encourage you to read a book? This would save some time. You heard of the book Good Mood, Bad Mood? by Dr. Charles Hodges, M.D. Good mood, bad mood. Write it down, you need to read it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, write it down, you need to read it. It's a good book. And he deals with joy and sorrow and depression and medication, all the whole thing in a, in a very responsible way. So we need to comfort those. Let, let me just ask you a few questions, and I'm going to get on to that closure on this. Um, you know what came to my mind on this when... Patrick was talking about uh, William Cooper, the songs that he's written and about his lifelong depression. Oh, the man just lived in depression. He tried to commit suicide at least, at least twice. He, he went through some of the darkest, darkest days in his life. Do you know a story uh, that John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, he took William Cooper into his house for him to live with him, because Cooper was, or uh, Newton was just the opposite. <laughs> he was just very uh, vibrant and upbeat, and but he took this constant, you know, now talk about an odd couple, <laughs> but he took him in and helped him through those difficult years, helped the depressed. It's easy to want to run away, it's back off. It's work, but Oh, that's part of what's... Uh, okay, we've got to, I've got to get to my conclusion, which is the sermon. <laughs> Here it is. Now, let me just close with this question. How should we then comfort one another? I've laid out a few things already. We comfort people who are depressed. We comfort people, comfort them who are struggling with sin. 
We comfort those who are just going through all kinds of awful things. Everything from cancer to strokes and uh, chronic, you know, migraine headaches. And, oh, it's just almost an infinite number of possibilities. Well, what do we do? I want to make three statements. Yes, the screen is black. I don't see anything but the time. Boy, and it really says it too. <laughs> All right, here we are. Number one, God can and will comfort us in our sorrows and our sufferings. He can and he will. Will you write that down? He can and he will. We must let him. Don't push him away. Oh, it's heartbreaking. You see, people are going through difficult times, and then you say, well, I haven't seen them in the assembly in weeks. And then you hear, well, they're depressed. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, come to the hospital. (laughs) Come to the hospital. And don't push God back. He works through people. Don't push God back and say, well, it's God's fault. He made this happen and he shouldn't have. I should be the exception. All those guys. So, you know, perhaps it's grief and, and, and sorrow. It, that kind that comes in a sudden shock. That's a really a tough one to handle. When you just get bad news, just in a phone call. I've had those. They're awful. Unexpected death. Sorrow over an addiction. You get news. A what? He did what? He's in what jail? Oh, can't believe it, a DUI. And didn't have his driver's license. Didn't have proof of insurance. And you get the call. What? Divorce? Oh. Let God, God can and will give you comfort. Please. Now, the comfort, the grief may be long-term. That's a special kind of grief and difficulty. A marriage that just doesn't seem to get better. A child that just insists on folly, doing stupid things. I mean, chronically so. Parents, children, disappointed parents, grandchildren. And then the grief can be mixed with other emotions. It can be mixed with guilt, anxiety, regret, worry, fear. That's a toxic mix. When you get your own grief and you got all this stuff in that brew, and if repentance is necessary, repent. I'm not saying all suffering and sorrows because we've committed a specific sin, but it is the occasion for examine one's, to examine oneself. Lay it out before God. Humble yourself before him. Secondly, God can and will comfort us directly. God can and will comfort us directly. What do I mean? I mean this, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and we have the word there in John 17. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Jesus said in John 16, he's going to send a comforter. And I noticed in one translation, it's helper, helper, and only truth in the power, the energizing power of the Spirit is going to give us the help to ease the pain. And sometimes that process where God deals with us directly, something may come home to us that, oh, I should have I've made mistakes. But God still comes and comforts. And he comforts us directly. Now, when I say directly, I'm saying... People are not necessarily involved at this point. And we are best prepared for sorrows and grief when our minds are filled with God's promises and wisdom. Please, please, please. I couldn't say anything more important here. That when you get into those dark, dark times, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, grieving over a lost loved one, and the anxiety that goes with somebody, somebody who's very precious to you, you don't know how much more time they're going to have. Those kinds of things. I've got to, I've got to have, I've got to be able to go to God and think right about Him and have promises and scripture memorized. And that's at that time we have to talk to ourselves and not just listen to ourselves. You've heard this. 
We often, we do that, don't that's not, we just listen to ourselves. And that's not a good conversation quite often. You know. I'm, I'm saying this, well, all kind of bad news. You know who does this? You go read Psalm 42. Just write it down. Psalm 42. Watch David. David was depressed. He tells you that. And then he says, and then he just comes out and says, Why are you cast down? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Hope thou in God. Now, that's the kind of preaching you ought to listen to. Yourself talking to yourself. Yes, Talk to yourself that way. Now, people may think you're crazy. But listen, people walk around talking on the phones out loud all the time. You look around, you think, am I supposed to respond? And you're, that's crazy, isn't it? People just, no, no, uh, no shame. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I recently heard this, though. Uh, I'll tell you who it was. It was uh, Cam Thompson. This is what his wife uh, said about him. She just uh, died recently. I forgot her first name. Dell, thank you. And Dell, we used to support them, Pan American Testament League. And he was known as uh, just this uh, prayer warrior. I mean, he just prayed all the time. I heard him when I was a young man. Never got over it, too. I felt guilty. I felt guilty about prayer since I heard him speak. I was a teenager. And she said, well, we'd be driving down the road. And she says, I couldn't tell if he were talking to me or talking to God. <laughs> so talk to yourself in, in prayer and come back to yourself with truth. Talk to yourself. Don't just listen to yourself. All right? And by the way, don't expect grief to immediately disappear. No, that's, I, we've got these cliches that float around. Well, we've got, what, what's the one that, uh, I get closure, that's it. We've got to get closure. That stuff is soft. It's just silly. It's, 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 it's language that we've got to move on, closure, let's go. There are things that you just don't get over. And when you've lost a loved one, you've lost them until, oh, by God's grace, you can see them in the presence of Christ. And you just can't have those conversations that you wanted to have and never had. You'll have to wait. But waiting is where we meet God in precious ways when we can't change the circumstances. Just remember, grief is God's appointed means of leading us to himself. I, oh. Well, it's not a message on grief, and I, all right, I'm just about through, but I've got to get this last one in. This is, this is really closure. I'm going to put some shoes on our feet on this one, all right, here. God can and will comfort us through others. Oh, he does. Friends, family, unexpected sources, they can give us renewed perspective. You saw that in 2 Corinthians 7. Titus shows up, oh, it's all better now. <laughs> Oh, I just, I can see that embrace that Paul gave to Titus. <laughs> Friends can help us sort out things, giving us physical help and relief, cleaning up our messes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> hey, I've had some bad experiences a couple of times in the few, last few years, and there's some men, I won't mention their name, but bless their hearts, they were there in that hospital, in that emergency room. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know, you get disoriented, you're in and out of consciousness maybe, and you've got messes that need to be cleaned up, and you've got friends that are there. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Maybe cleaning up the kitchen, cutting the grass, going to the grocery store, ironing clothes, loaning a car, errands. I remember, I won't mention her name, I'd embarrass her, but I remember we were, going, we were getting on the road ready to go to... Well, it's two or three things that happened together. It was a perfect storm of some bad, some things that had happened. We had to get on the road to go to Nashville. Just found out Beth's father had dropped over with a heart attack. Eric was in an emergency room. Oh, what do we do? Thank God. Jim Stout. Thank you, Lord, for Jim Stout. Loaned us his van. We, we needed the room to pick Eric up, put him in the back because he couldn't sit up. And... Thank God I remember, since I'm throwing out names here, I guess. Uh, and I, I, we remember we were getting ready to go, and Patty Thorne comes up. And, you know, Patty, she just gets really busy with things. And she starts ironing, ironing, and things like that. Oh, 
Oh, so, what do we say? Now, you know, you can be a popsicle person. Do you know what a popsicle person is? I remember this very well. Oh, I would be sick at home with a fever, just staring at the ceiling, you know, listening to some crazy soap opera. We didn't have television. And just feeling like dirt. Fever, what do you do? And didn't have Advil, had aspirin. But, and I'd hear my mother's footsteps come up the back steps. <laughs> you know what she brought me? A popsicle! Grape. <laughs> that was my favorite. Uh, we, can be, we can take popsicles. And we can show up when people are hurting and do things that uh, we can't make it all go away. And that's where we've got to be careful that we don't start telling them, oh, I just, no, God's going to heal you and raise you up today. You're going to be all better. I'm just trusting God for it. I don't want to hear that kind of talk, quite frankly. I remember James Boyce when he was diagnosed with liver cancer and he sent out a letter. Now, I would say it's safe to say that James Boyce was fairly well doctrinally clued in. Uh, If you don't know who he is, I'll tell you later. And he sent that letter out and he said, you can pray for me and go ahead. But he said, I'm going to die. Had liver cancer. He said, I'm going to die. I thought it was a very healthy and realistic view of things. And he, the man had lived a faithful life and so spoke in his dying. And so we can pray. We comfort people in praying. Don't never underestimate the value of that. You may not be able to go to the hospital or make those connections in other ways, but praying for people, praying for them. And so therefore, they're, oh, and how could I forget this one? I saw the note. This food ministry, oh my. Uh, that's really a good one to comfort people. When you come home from the hospital, and I remember Beth, had, when she'd been in the hospital, and my man, the refrigerator just running over. It was good food, too, because people tend to send their best stuff. <laughs> not, their exp- not their experiments. <laughs> and they send their best stuff. I said, thank you, Lord. What a, what a comfort that is. Church. Have you thought of it this way? That church is like a hospital. And, okay, they're healthy, but they're healthy people. You got staff, you got nurses. Oh, thank God for nurses. Well, you know, they not even see a doctor once, but nurses, they just... And that's where the church should see itself as a hospital-like. We've got people who care. We have triage. Oh, people who come in and the wheels have come off. Life's a wreck. I need help. I've got to stop the bleeding. And we have counseling to help to get things, get some momentum. Stop, stop this bleeding and let's go. And then we have convalescence and care. That's what we're here for. We're all, we're all people in some state of wreckage and hurt and pain and suffering. Can we not be people who will live out the gospel and love one another? And lest I forget, I said the food thing. Now, we've got an Eatsy thing. I know that name sounds kind of weird to some people. What is Eatsy? Well, it does communicate a valuable thing that groups of three and sometimes four couples, they get together and they have meals together. And you can get to meet with people. And you know what? You may end up comforting somebody and you not know it. That happens, you know. You can comfort people and not even be aware of it. And oh, by the way, I'm on the, oh, man, I'm over time here. Please, um, let me, just allow me this. I remember something, I was going to say something about cheering notes. Cheering notes, I'll come back to easy. Cheering notes, but I live with, oh, do I, I live with somebody. She, we're going down the road. And that's over there writing these notes, writing these notes, just all, constantly, constantly. And handwriting that you can read. And it's just so beautiful. <laughs> and she's, oh, how, I'll tell you one of the, I was, when I was going through the grief of my father's death back in 96, I got a note from a man. I would not have expected it. I knew it. And I have never forgotten that note. I kept it. It's in the files, but I know what it says. And you know what? That note was so well thought out and so encouraging. What you kind of process of losing your father. 
it gave me some thought about what that might mean. And that has helped me innumerable times when I've tried to connect with people who've lost a, a, a father or a mother. Help me. That's what comforting does. Because when you sow the seeds of truth, they bear fruit. That's gospel. That's gospel work. Gospel work. I close with this. Oh, I said I was going to say one more thing. Sign up for easy. You feeling a little guilt, guilty on that? Good. It can, it can help sometimes. You know your schedule. I'm, I'm just kidding with you. You know your schedule, but it can be a way of getting connected with others and encouraging them. But the greatest comfort in all the world is the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And he came and he lived perfectly. He went up to that cross and was judged for my sin so that I could be forgiven and be with him forever and have eternal life and have a new heart and new desires and a new way of looking at life and I could begin to get a foretaste of glory divine. It's not just about dying and going to be with Jesus. That's wonderful. But in the meantime, the sweetness of what it is to walk in communion with Christ, that's, fuck, I don't know anything that's more comforting than that. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and then to live it. And then you can live it in such a powerful way that people say, Oh, I need to know more about you and what's going on here. Okay, let's talk. <laughs> Go for it. I'm going way over time. And what are we going to sing, Patrick? Psalm 62. Okay, I know that psalm, but right now I can't pull it up, but I'm going to be singing with you. Okay, uh, let's pray that God will use the song and use our dismissal. Let's bow our heads. Before I, before I pray, Perhaps if you're not, I'm not trying to coerce this. I just want to give you the opportunity. If you, you may want to just talk to the Lord in this moment. And you may want to say, Lord, I need to be, I need to be more of a comforter. I want to be. Teach me. And then get ready for some suffering. (laughs) And then say, Lord, help me to show compassion and comfort. Oh, that this, Lord, I pray that this church would just be seen as glowing, glowing with comfort and care for one another as a community of growing people in Christ, dependent on you and, Lord, interdependent on one another because of what you're doing in our hearts. Lord, if there's one here this morning who's without Christ, if, they, if their hearts stop beating today, oh, God, I pray that one nearest going out into eternity he or she would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, please. In Christ's name, amen.